the parallel of Mary to Jesus. In the scripture, the Lord is emphatic that my glory, he says, I will not share with another. In spite of this, the Roman Catholic Church has constructed a parallel of Mary to Jesus and even to the Holy Spirit of God. The Roman system consistently attributes the very roles and offices of Christ Jesus to their Mary, not the Mary of Scripture, but their Mary. And we'll go into these parallels in detail. And we're using the exact words from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, word for word. Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 491, quotation. Throughout the centuries, the Church has become ever more aware that Mary, full of grace, through God, was redeemed from the moment of her conception. That is what the dogma of the Immaculate Conception confesses, as Pope Pius IX proclaimed in 1854. The most blessed Virgin Mary was, from the first moment of her conception, by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God, and by virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the human grace, preserved immune from all stain of original sin. And paragraph 493, by the grace of God, Mary remained free from every personal sin her whole life long. Our biblical response using the scriptures to this is that this simply is not found in scripture. We must be very careful to understand that immaculate conception does not mean virginal birth. It has nothing to do with the virgin birth, which we all hold as Bible believers and is in the scriptures. Immaculate conception is talking about Mary's own conception, not her birth, her conception in the womb of her mother. This is against the teaching of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle in Romans for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God Mary like all true believers is a saved sinner having sinned come short of the glory of God and saved by God's grace all applies to all and passages such as Luke 2.24 Joseph and Mary came to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And that was in accordance with Leviticus 12 and 8, a burnt offering and a sin offering. They were recognizing that they were sinners and doing what was required of sinners according to the written law of God. Mary herself with Joseph recognizing that they were sinners. And Mary herself the most beautiful, humble declaration of the biblical Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She was one to profess that she was saved. And the Lord himself, when a lady wanted to proclaim her greatness because of 
the fact that it was from her womb that he came, he said in Luke 11, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, the woman said, and he said, Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. And that applied also to Mary, that she heard the word of God and kept it. Understood that she was a sinner and was saved by God's grace. Now this idea of Mary's sinlessness is a very big part of what the Roman Church says officially is also the characteristic they claim for her that she was ever a virgin. Uh, it is a very big part of the myth of sinlessness and therefore we have to see this aspect of what it means in the Roman Church. Paragraph 499 of the New Catechism. The deepening of faith in the virginal motherhood led the Church to confess Mary's real and perpetual virginity even in the act of giving birth to the Son of God made man. In fact, Christ's birth did not diminish his mother's virginal integrity, but sanctified it. And also the liturgy of the church celebrates Mary as I parthenos, the ever-virgin. And what we want to note in this is that last statement, that she was ever-virgin, that she remained a virgin all her life. And this ever-virgin claim is ridiculous in face of Scripture, and we're going to give the Scriptures here below. Matthew chapter 1. Then Joseph took to him his wife and did not know her till she brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. He, she did not, he did not know her. And of course the significance, he did not know her sexually. The whole, the whole context he did not know her until she brought forth. And Mark 6, verse 3, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joses, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So the names of the brothers and the sisters are given. And Matthew 13 is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? And Mark 3, beginning in 31. And then came his brothers and his mother. Standing outside, they sent to him, calling him, and a multitude was sitting about him. And they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And John chapter 2 verse 12. And after this he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. And Acts 1.14. And all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And so quite explicitly and clearly the scriptures talk about brothers and sisters of the Lord. The text that mentioned brothers and sisters is emphatically clear and I want to highlight this even more from the Greek meaning of the words that were found in the scriptures itself. 
We are told in first, uh, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21, that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit uses the precise language of Greek to make a clear distinction between Adelphos, literally from the womb, you can see the etymology of the word, Adelphos, from the womb, with the other word, Anetsios, which is the word in Greek for cousins. So quite explicitly, the word in the text are for those who have come out of the same womb. It's the same also, of course, in the feminine form of the same Greek word. And in Galatians, where the Holy Spirit distinguishes, as the Apostle said, between seed and seeds, the same Apostle writing calls James, the brother of the Lord, Adelphos, from the same womb, and not Anetius, a cousin. And so we have a clear distinction in the Word of God. And for those who wish to argue that the word might mean brothers in the sense of the followers or the disciples, because we're going to get some Catholic apologists will come and say, well, that means really the followers of Christ. We have the distinction in John chapter 2, verse 12. He, the Lord, and his mother and his brethren, that's the brothers, and his disciples. So there the distinction is made between the physical brothers and the followers or the disciples. So the word itself makes that distinction. So there's no way, there's no loophole to try and get out of the, the fact that the scripture declares that from the same Adelphos, from the same womb, what came others who were brothers and sisters to the Lord. We do get Catholic apologists and others rationalizing that it still was so that Mary was a virgin because she resolved, she made a vow of virginity. And we have to see, is that scripturally possible, that she could make a vow of virginity and that Joseph could agree with the vow or maybe together they 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 had decided to have a vow of virginity. Joseph was commanded by the Lord. Thou, son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. So he was commanded to take his wife. And therefore it would have been a sin against God for him to have taken a vow of virginity. And it is recorded, as we've seen already, he knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn. The scripture says that he did know her as a husband. And then we have the Lord's clear command in Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. Let thy fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and the pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. And be thou ravished always with her love. For Mary to make a private vow... To break her covenant, a marriage covenant with her husband, would be in a sin against the Lord and his written word. So it was impossible 
scripturally that there could have been a vow of virginity. And of course it is ridiculous when we see what the scripture actually say about his brothers and sisters, the Lord's brothers and sisters. Mary is truly the scriptural Mary blessed for all ages, for all generations. She's blessed among women. She's not blessed above women or above, above mankind. She's blessed among women. The blessedness shows a divine demonstration of favor to her, calling her to be the mother of the Lord. It was God's sovereign act, and it was a consequence of her being of the lineage of the royal house of David. As a believer, and according to God's word, she conceived and brought forth the Lord as a virgin. Later, in obedience to the Lord, she was the wife of Joseph and mother of their children. The superstition that has arisen and has been constructed by Rome of the perpetual virginity of Mary is not only to have a basis or a foundation for their doctrines, but it is also to uphold the state of celibacy as if it were exalted above marriage as an access to God. I have written on, about this in the epilogue to a book on, of the Twenty Nuns. It's on our book table. I've written about the convent life where that uh, sort of thing is done, where they try to exalt celibacy to a level higher than marriage. And so it is important for them then to have a role model for women and, of course, for men, so that they say that the virginity of Mary is a role model then to draw men and women into a celibate state. And we know some of the consequences of that at the moment if we even go to some of the Catholic web pages of what is happening in Boston and many other parts of the United States. The huge consequences that go with this celibate state. But this is the reason for their upholding of the perpetual virginity of Mary. And so that was parallel A, where the Catholic Church tried to affirm as doctrine, and it is a doctrine that if you do not believe it, you go to hell, you are damned. I remember quite well, 1950, of a young boy in Jesuit college, when this was pronounced with all solemn decrees and if we did not believe this we lost the faith we were damned to hell it is a doctrine that you must believe so that was the first that Mary is sinless immaculately conceived and without any sin during her whole life and part of that is her virginity perpetual virginity parallel B is the parallel where they try to place Mary as mother in grace and salvation and reading from the catechism under the heading she is our mother in the order of grace we read in paragraph 968 her role in relation to the church and to all humanity goes still further in a holy singular way she cooperated by her obedience faith hope and burning charity in the savior's work of restoring supernatural life to souls for this reason, she is a mother to us in the order of grace. Mary proclaimed to be the mother 
in the order of grace. And paragraph 969, quotation, This motherhood of Mary in the order of grace continues uninterruptedly from the consent which she loyally gave at the Annunciation and which she sustained without wavering beneath the cross until the eternal fulfillment of all the elect taken up to heaven she did not lay aside this saving office but by her manifold intercession continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation therefore the blessed virgin is invoked in the church under the titles of advocate helper benefactress and mediatrix and paragraph 494, quotation, St. Irenaeus says, Being obedient, she became the cause of salvation for herself and for the whole human race. And paragraph 1172, In celebrating this annual cycle of the mysteries of Christ, Holy Church honors the Blessed Mary Mother of God with a special love. She is inseparably linked with the saving work of her son. So this claim of an inseparable link, of being mother of grace, and of being a saving office, is what the Catholic Church is proposing to believers. Scripturally we see that Christ Jesus is the one who dwelt among us full of grace. He is the only one who is full of grace. The actual word that they say in the Hail Mary, full of grace to Mary, is kekariatomene in Greek, which means highly favored one. There is no other full of grace in Scripture. The Catholic Church mistranslates that Greek, uh, those Greek words as full of grace, claiming that Mary is full of grace. It is also in the most common of the Catholic prayers full of grace but in scripture there is only one who is full of grace and that is Christ Jesus grace and truth came by Jesus Christ the apostle John proclaims of his fullness we have received grace for grace it is by his graciousness that we are made acceptable before the all holy God wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And from this fullness he gives out a suitable supply, grace for grace, in the words of the Apostle John in first chapters and verse 16. This is made manifest to us in the beautiful passage that I love so well and was such a big part of my own salvation, Romans 3. And 21, 22, and 23. But now the righteousness of God is manifest, being demonstrated by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is the faith of Christ Jesus. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What is seen, what is manifest, it is Christ's righteousness. It is His perfect life. It is his perfection that is demonstrated. And then the wonder of it, through the faith of Christ, that same faithfulness upon all who believe, you as a believer are clothed in his righteousness, 
been justified freely. There is grace, freely, by the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The wonder of it, the wonder of it, of who our Christ Jesus is. That is what it is scripturally. And then to come and say the ghastly words that there is a mother of grace and that there is a saving office that she has is to take from the very glory of the graciousness of our God and of our Savior is to denigrate the very work of our Christ and our Savior that he alone is full of grace and truth And not only is it to denigrate from him, but the real sad thing in quoting Irenaeus in the citation that she became the cause of salvation for herself and the whole human race, it's to take from the glory of our Father in heaven as if there was a cause outside of his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. There is no other cause except the love of our God. And to proclaim that there is another cause outside of the love of our God is to denigrate the Lord God, the all-holy God. That is of utter seriousness. To uphold another cause of salvation. How dare anyone speak against God and his love as the cause of salvation? A God who is merciful, gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Long-suffering of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. And we could go on page after page to explain the glory of our God as the cause of salvation, the God of all grace in the words of the Apostle Peter. It's his grace and his grace alone. His grace has no mother. That would be an abomination not known in Scripture and the glory of our God shines in the pages of his written word. Parallel C is the parallel that the Church of Rome attempts to make between Mary as assumed into heaven and as queen of heaven to parallel Christ as ascended and as king of kings. Quotation from the same catechism, um, 966. The Immaculate Virgin preserved free from all stain of original sin when the course of her earthly life was finished was taken up body and soul into heavenly glory and exalted by the Lord as queen over all things so that she might be more fully conformed to her son the Lord of Lords and conqueror of sin and death the assumption of the blessed virgin is a singular participation in her son's resurrection and an anticipation in the resurrection of other Christians. And continuing to read, the 
the words go into a prayer to the same one whom they're exalting, their Mary. It continues, In giving birth, you kept your virginity. In your domitian, you did not leave the world. O Mother of God, but were joined to the source of life, you conceive the living God and by your prayers will deliver our souls. It's difficult for me even to read those words. Biblically we answer this by saying that the assumption of Mary into heaven either after death or without dying because the Catholic doctrine is not clear and doesn't make any statement on the fact was a dogma made in 1950, denying which is a mortal sin, is an absurd dogma because there is no scriptural evidence whatsoever of anything to suggest that Mary was assumed into heaven. There is no reference whatsoever given of an ascension that you call an assumption of Mary into heaven. It's not found on any pages of scripture. Not only is it not found in pages of scripture, there is not even any early reference in the church fathers to this. So there is no even early apostasy except what was in Gnosticism which believed this. And this is recognized even by some of the outstanding Catholic scholars. For example, Ludwig Ott, and I give the reference to his book in the footnote, states, quotation, the idea of the bodily assumption of Mary is first expressed in certain transitive narratives of the 5th and 6th centuries. Even though these are apocryphal, they bear witness to the faith of the generation in which they were written despite their legendary clothing. The first church author to speak of the bodily ascension of Mary in association with an apocryphal transitus, Blessed uh, Mary Virgin, the Blessed Mary, that's the, the BMV is for the Blessed Virgin Mary, is St. Gregory Tours, 590. 9-4. That was his death, end of quotation. Ludwig Ott shows that the first admission of a assumption of Mary comes from St. Gregory of Tours in the 6th century. And he is going back to apocryphal writings that were legendary. These apocryphal writings were from the Gnostics who believed in a uh, an ascension of Mary and these were condemned by the early church and so we have therefore a tradition which is against the assumption of Mary if you want to go into detail on this I would recommend highly the webpage of Bill Webster it's christiantruth.com on the internet and he has a whole article showing that from the point of view of tradition, the only early tradition we have of a, 
an ascension of Mary is with the Gnostics which was condemned by the early believers and so we have here a teaching of an, an, an ascension which is called an assumption of Mary into heaven that is not scriptural and that the traditions for it were in Gnosticism and that when it came out of Gnosticism in the 6th century they were hearkening back to those apocryphal writings to get their teachings and so we have a damning evidence against this teaching of the Assumption of Mary even from the point of view of tradition this is lived out in Catholicism where Mary is assumed and queen over all things those of us who were Catholic knew and said many times the Hail Holy Queen Mother of Mercy Hail Our Life Our Sweetness and Our Hope we said that many thousands of times every night after the Rosary who was our sweetness who was our hope it was the Roman Catholic Mary and in the litany after the Rosary she's called Queen of many things Queen of Angels Queen of Patriarchs Queen of Prophets Queen of Apostles Queen of Martyrs Queen of Confessors Queen of Virgins Queen of all Saints Queen Conceived without Original Sin Queen Assumed into Heaven Queen of the Most Holy Rosary Queen of Peace Catholics pray to a Queen in Heaven this is very similar to what Jeremiah talks about in the Old Testament where people were looking to a queen in Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 18. The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, the women knead their dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings unto other gods that they may provoke me to anger. The Lord showing through the Holy Spirit that people who do this look to a queen of heaven are looking to another god or gods to provoke God to anger. It is reminiscent to what we find in paganism among the Phoenicians where we have Ashtoreth or Astarte, the wife of Baal, the queen of heaven, and also where the Babylonians worship the queen of heaven as Mylita, and I could go on and on of lists of people who have called on the queen of heaven. And where, quite emphatically, heaven is open to us in Revelation 4 and 5, and we see the throne of God and the majesty of God and we see the Lamb sitting on the throne and we see the, the 24 elders and the four living creatures. Heaven is open to us and there is no queen of heaven there. Why? Because that would be an abomination to the Lord. He alone is King of kings and Lord of lords. And so it's missing from Scripture because it, it could not be there. Because it is the Lamb that reigns with the Father on the throne. And the Scripture says, Look to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Those who promote worship to the Queen of Heaven in the words of Scripture shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture in the cup of his indignation why? because it is taken from the glory of our God this is taken from who God is this is breaking the very first commandment 
And that's why it is of utter serious consequences. This is not some slight or secondary matter. This is primary. And then, going from that declared assumption and Queen of Heaven, we go to Parallel D, where Mary is declared to be a feminine mediator as parallel to Jesus as the masculine mediator. Catechism, paragraph 969, we had read it before, but just a summary. Therefore, the Blessed Virgin is invoked in the Church under the titles of Advocate, Helper, Benefactress, and Mediatrix. And it's the last one we were emphasizing, Mediatrix. It's also mentioned in Vatican II documents, and I give the exact references down to the paragraph number quotation. In the words of the Apostle, there is but one mediator, for there is but one God and one mediator of God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a redemption for all. But Mary's function as mother of men in no way obscures or diminishes this unique mediation of Christ, but rather shows its power. But the Blessed Virgin's salutary influence on men originates not in any inner necessity, but in the disposition of God. So they say that there is one mediator, and then they do three buts, where they deny the fact of what they have said. And then in paragraph 62, they say, the Blessed Virgin is invoked in the church under the titles of advocate, helper, benefactress, and mediatrix. This, however is so understood that it neither takes away anything from nor adds anything to the dignity and efficacy of Christ, the one mediator. And this is what we have to respond to. The Church of Rome is looking to a woman as a mediator and calling her a mediatrix. This is very serious because this is where our salvation is founded. The fact that we have one in whom we trust to substitute for us. And Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The Father is God, and Jesus the Son is the only way to the Father. As we saw in the Apostle, we read again, there is one God and one mediator. The oneness is again emphasized. It's one God and one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. The Heavenly Father sent his Son, so that we can have direct access to him, the man Christ Jesus. To advocate another assistant mediator called a mediatrix is a go, as a go-between is a lie. In the words of the Lord, he that entered not by the door of the sheepfold, but climbeth up another way, the same is a thief and a robber. The Lord himself answering the fact that if you climb up any other way, you're a thief and a robber. Vatican II trying to explain is a classic example of double talk where you say something and then you deny it in the next two or three sentences. It is a classic example of double talk where you say one thing and then you deny it. And so also is the fact where it is claimed that it neither takes from nor adds anything to the dignity and efficacy of Christ. Look how it is lived and how Catholics live it. Just look at some of the names of the Catholic churches. Look at the prayers to Mary. Look at the devotions to Mary. Look at the books to Mary. 
look at the the dedication to Mary and the Catholic Church and look at the effect it has on people's lives and where Christ is placed and see just how this affects people. The parallel E is a different claim. It is the claim to have advocate and helper. The advocate and helper is claimed to be the Mary of Catholicism. The same paragraph finishes with under the titles of advocate, helper, benefactress. What is so serious is that these titles belong to the Holy Spirit. He is sent as our helper to take the Lord's place to indwell the believer's he will abide with them forever, John 14:16. He will bring Christ's words to mind, John 14:26. He testifies not to himself but to Christ, John 15:26. He guides believers into all truth, John 16:13. Truly, the Holy Spirit is another advocate, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth. And to assign these roles to a human creature and to say that she is advocate and helper, is to denigrate the office of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is another advocate to take Christ's place. Equally divine. He is our helper and our guide. And to declare that we have a feminine human person who has these offices is to take from this very attribute of the Holy Spirit. And that's as serious as you can get. Speaking against the Holy Spirit is as serious as you can get. And this is not only said in the official dogma, it's also what is proclaimed by the one who calls himself the Vicar of Christ and the infallible Pope. In the year 2000, speaking at Fatima Shrine in Portugal, the Pope declared, quotation, According to the divine plan, a woman clothed with the sun came down from heaven to earth to visit the privileged children. She asked them to offer themselves as victims of reparation, saying that she was ready to lead them safely to God and behold they see a light shining from her maternal hands which penetrates them inwardly so that they feel immersed in God the Pope declaring for the whole world to know and it's on the Vatican webpage I give the reference in the footnotes to this day it's on the webpage where the wor world is still hearing the same message that she, the woman, leads to God. This is the office of the Holy Spirit to lead somebody to God. The Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness and of sin. And the Holy Spirit leads people to God and not any human creature. And so we have not only in the official dogma but the one who calls himself Holy Father and who sits in the temple of God calling himself infallible says that there is a woman 
leading you to God, the very role of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures say, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. This is the first commandment. There is no other God before our God. And the Holy Spirit's role is not replaced by any human creature. He is the one advocate and the helper and the guide. And so this parallel of the Mary of Catholicism to the Holy Spirit in his roles of advocate and helper are null and void in the light of Scripture. And then it is difficult to read this last comparison of the comparison of Mary as the All-Holy One to God as the All-Holy One. It is very difficult because what we are dealing with here is the very attribute of God that distinguishes God from all other creatures. But read it we must. From the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2677, quotation, By asking Mary to pray for us, we acknowledge ourselves to be poor sinners, and we address ourselves to the Mother of Mercy, the All-Holy One. The capital letters are there in the book. The All-Holy One. In paragraph 2030, from the Church he learns the example of holiness and recognizes its model and source in the All-Holy Virgin Mary. That she is the source of holiness and she is the All-Holy One. God is infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness and truth. And of all these, his holiness is his distinguishing attribute. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Thrice holy. Because it distinguishes him as the only all-holy one. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord? For thou alone art holy. The scriptures are emphatic. There is none holy as the Lord. There is none like unto our God. This is what the scripture says. 1 Samuel 2, 2. There is none holy as the Lord. There is none besides thee. And to address a human creature as the all-holy one is consummate blasphemy, speaking against God, and high-handed idolatry. This is really difficult to read and very difficult that anybody calling themselves Christian would dare to put in print this type of writing that there is another All-Holy One knowing how serious this is on the pages of Scripture. But that is Roman Catholicism and the Catholicism that continues to laud itself and parade itself before mankind. And our conclusion is that of all these things we have seen, of these comparisons or substitutes or parallels of Jesus the characters of Jesus and the attributes of Jesus too, whom they call Mary, that these 
are taking from the very glory of God which he will not share with another. They're teaching that she is the Immaculate Conception, the All-Holy One, the Mother in the Order of Grace, the Queen of Heaven, the Mediatrix and the Advocate and the Heavenly Helper. These are attempts to take from the glory of God and God himself says in the Holy Spirit, in the written word, I am the Lord, that is my name and my glory I will not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. And so, the scriptures are emphatic that God does not share his glory with anyone else. Now, while there is no parallel, and we've seen that in each section that we did, there's no parallel between the Roman Catholic Mary and the positions and offices of Christ and the Holy Spirit, there is a parallel, and quite distinct parallel, between the Roman Catholic Mary and goddesses that are proclaimed across the world. There's very clear similarities. If you go to the occult shops or you go to the occult web pages, and I give some of them here in the footnote, you will see that there are some very clear comparisons that they also have a queen of heaven and that can cause salvation as we saw the Catholic Church says Mary does, and that does not have human children, and that can be invoked to do supernatural things through special objects and special verbal formulae, and who is to be worshipped and venerated. And so we do have a parallel between Mary of Roman Catholicism and the occult and paganism. And not only that, but this leads a lot of Catholics into the occult. And when you go and examine the occult, you find, moreover, that the Roman Catholic Mary is there. That the Roman Catholic Mary is part and parcel of what is held in the occult. And I give some references to web pages, and you can go and check some of these out on the Internet yourself, like Spiral Goddess Grove and the white moon and goddess 2000 where they consider Mary to be the divine feminine and for centuries many people have blended with their goddesses and their queens of heaven Satan transforms himself into the angel of light the reason why I prayed at the very beginning was that we would be protected when we were reading some of these things. But when we see Satan taking the beautiful believer, the scriptural Mary, and making of her an abomination and a goddess, we are horrified. Even though scripture warns us that Satan can transform himself into an angel of light, when we see it, and read it, we are horrified. Because of the honor and glory we give to our God, that anyone could speak of a mother of grace, knowing the graciousness of our God, or the cause of grace, knowing the love of our God. 
Or that anyone speak of a feminine mediator when we know the glory of our Christ and Savior. The very fact that he is one mediator is where our hope is based. That these things could be dared to be pronounced before us horrifies us. And that they are official teaching of a church that claims to be Christian. We are appalled. But Scripture did warn us. And so we know that we were prepared. And we do not stand frightened. And we pledge and plead with Catholics and precious Roman Catholics. And I know for living as 30 years a Dominican and 48 years as a devout Catholic myself. And 22 in the priesthood. I know what it is. And I know how difficult it is. But the Lord gives precept and promise. He says, Wherefore come out from among them and be separate. And touch not any unclean thing and I will receive you and I will be a father unto you and you will be my sons and my daughters. Come out from among her. It's God's commandment. And he promises to be a father to you. He's been a Naba father to me in these 15 years since I have left. Trust the all-holy God. Faithful. The eternal father is absolutely faithful. It is he who loves. It is he who has chosen. It is he who has given the believers to Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus has paid the price for the redemption of his own. Cry out to God that you may see the glory of Christ Jesus. That you may see Christ in all his finished work. That he has completed the work the Father gave him to do. Know that he in his glory is presented before you that you would believe on him and him alone. In the words of the Apostle Paul in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. To know the riches of the grace of Christ Jesus. Cry out that you may see yourself as a sinner before the all-holy God. For Christ died for sinners. And that you may believe that he died in your place. And know the joy of what it is to rest on him and him alone. So the words of scripture are fulfilled for you. The Apostle Paul. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even by the Spirit of the Lord. It is God's Holy Spirit that convicts. 
pray that he would convict you. Cry out to him a humble and contrite heart he will not spurn. If you truly are seeking him, know that it is he who is absolutely faithful. He will, by his spirit, convict you and you will know what it is to be changed from glory unto glory because it is all in the glorious finished work of Christ Jesus. Believe on him and know the joy of what it is to be in the everlasting arms of the Abba Father. And to him be praise, glory, worship and honor now and forevermore. Amen and Amen. Anyone listening to the tape who may wish to write to me, I would love to hear from you. My mailing address is Post Office Box 192 Del Valley, two words, D-E-L-V-A-L-L-E, Texas, 78617 USA. Or if you wish to write by email, it's R Bennett B N N E T T at stick S T I C dot net. Our webpage is BereanBeacon.org. That is B E R E A N B E A C O N dot org. Thank you ever so much for listening. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. 
And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.